One of the things we talk about here at the table, we try to focus the conversation around hospitality and the way in which our politics is a little bit different, a little bit improved when we give a shit about the other people that are having this conversation. And maybe you don't give a shit about a lot of the journalists in or around or near your life. But I do, and I want to make the case that maybe you should too. And so one of the people who's doing a really good job of making that case day in and day out is John Stanton, who I've known for a number of years uh, when he was at BuzzFeed and now is the co-founder of the Save Journalism Project. Laura Bassett's the other founder. John, thank you for joining me at the table. We are, this is what this is all about. It's about people getting together and talking about the real stuff. And I, and I know that there's really no other setting for you. So thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. This is, talk to me about Save, the, Save Journalism Project first. You and Laura both lost jobs around the same time and started this. What is it and why? Yeah, so uh, uh, last January, um, Laura and I both lost our job within like 24 hours of each other. She was at HuffPost and I was at BuzzFeed. Um, And that was kind of the beginning of this big wave this year of um, layoffs and closures that we've seen in the industry. And um, by the spring, it it was very clear to the both of us that things had gotten way out of control. And... You know, while there's like some of the big news um, industry, trade associations or whatever are paying attention to the companies, there's not really anybody, even the unions, that has been kind of paying attention to the to the layoffs and how they're affecting us and trying to to raise those issues in the public mind and on Capitol Hill um, and to protect us. And I think, you know, we felt that, that um, there was a space there for, for us to try to step in um, and try to make a difference. I think one of the biggest thing that, that occurred to us was that um, basically big tech companies like Google and Facebook and Apple are um, essentially strip mining the industry of its ad revenue, and that's how we get paid. I mean, the vast majority of news outlets are for-profit. Um, almost all of them rely on advertising in some manner, um, and it's traditionally been that way. Advertising's always been a huge part of, of the business model for, for newspapers and news outlets in this country. And over the, you know, the last decade, the, these sort of online advertising um, magnates, right? I mean, they're like, you know, the, 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 the steel companies of, of this era. I think they prefer, at the age that they are, Wunderkinds. They prefer, Wunderkinds, yeah, they, they, like? they prefer that. Yeah, 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 they don't like robber barons so much. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Um, you know, they, they're, just, they're just stripping out all the, the money. They're stealing it from the companies that are, that are paying our salaries. And so that's a thing that we really felt like was, was a space that we could try to make some noise on. And we should talk about union versus non-union. We should talk about the ways in which the space has, like many different types of workspaces around the country, decent jobs have been eliminated from the union roles in journalism as it has been in other places. That's not new, but we should talk about that. But let me, especially because people may have seen, as they're listening to this conversation, they may have remembered that just this week we were hearing uh, and seeing these headlines about Facebook. Mm -hmm. Facebook vastly inflating the amount of views. So you're talking about strip mining and they were with under the predication of an enormous lie yeah. that there were thousands and millions more views than they were actually getting. And you're seeing people, for example, move business away from YouTube and toward Facebook or putting newsroom resources away from reporting and toward bullshit video that nobody was actually watching. And these are the kinds of jobs that get lost in the shuffle. And these are human people 
but they're also, you know, and, and the, the idea that it's predicated on an incredible lie is even worse to me than the fact that it's strip mining. I don't know. It's like it's like if you were strip mining, then you find out, oh, we blew the top off this mountain, but there actually wasn't even any coal in it. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, and I think it's, you know, that, I mean, like at BuzzFeed, for instance, there was a definite push towards going to video, right? And I think as journalists... Um, I was okay with that. I, th I think any way you can get a good story out there is a great thing. And BuzzFeed tried to, to sort of thread this needle of keeping resources on the journalism, but while also increasing video. But when the bottom fell out of that, when they when we realized that we weren't getting the money that we thought we were going to get because of Facebook inflating its numbers, all of a sudden you sunk you know millions of dollars into something that was doing nothing at all. And um, that's what ends up happening is that suddenly they have to start laying people off. And and for the and for the tech companies and it's not just Facebook by the way, but for the tech companies, it's a much more nimble decision to be able to say, oh, we want you to produce this content. They're basically toggling switches, whereas the newsrooms that they're relying on, they're the ones that are actually going. I mean, I'm going to just continue to to use this mining metaphor. They're the ones who are actually getting black lung and going down into yeah. the, into the hole every day. It's a lot less agile of a maneuver to say, well, now we've got to go into this route or this route or this route. And and those people would be hired, maybe move across the country for these new jobs. And then a year or two later, maybe, maybe even less, just just be gone. And yeah. so and this is happening everywhere. It's happening at big national outlets like HuffPo and, and BuzzFeed. But it's also happening all around the country in regional outlets. It's happening in local newspapers, local places. And these jobs are just gone. Yeah. We've seen the graph of where these jobs are. I mean, w journalism is, is a husk of what, it, of what it was even 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's remarkable the amount of, of damage it's done. And, you know, I think one of the things, um, to your point about the inability, the, the mobility or the nimbleness, I guess, of the industry, uh, you know, Facebook and Google are in the news business. I know they like to pretend like they're not, but they are. But Unlike the traditional news business where we have always had sort of a dual track deal going where part of it is to make money and to be profitable, but also there is um, a fundamental constraint of like you're doing this in order to inform the public, to protect the public, to speak for the public, and to root out corruption and wrongdoing and, and you know, to protect people, right? They have abandoned those ethical notions completely. They don't care about any of that. All they care about is making money. And so they see it as, as a really like a natural resource that they can exploit. And when you, when you see it that way, you can suddenly, tr you know, shift to different things or monkey with the numbers or whatever, because all you're looking for is money out of it, right? Whereas if you're a newspaper or a news organization online, you can't just do that, right? Like you have to also be focused on trying to find out the truth and tell people stories and tell people about the giant sinkhole in their town or whatever's going on, right? I got that on the my, on my head because I live in New Orleans and <laughs> every day there's a new sinkhole. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's gotten worse since you've gotten there, and I don't want to make the, the the causal connection, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that uh, it's something to do with you. I you know you've you've wished on some monkey's paw. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely certain. Yeah, well yeah. the 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 other part of this that I want to emphasize though, and, and you're you're talking about the way in which the these jobs are. Are, are gained and lost, and you talk about the commitment to truth. You know, I, I come from a radio background, and for for broadcast, TV and radio, there is an there is an understanding that the public airwaves are a public interest. Now, the newspapers have always been slightly different, and you come from a more traditional background in that sense. But I think about it like 
Now, I remember every programmer I ever spoke to said, obviously, we're all here to make money, but we have to remember that we have a public license and we have an obligation. The Internet, and I sound so old when I say it like this, but there is no, it's like engineers versus computer engineers. Engineers take an oath to do good with their knowledge. Computer engineers, it's actually a misnomer because they don't take that oath. It's the same with these kinds of news aggregation where there's no sense of obligation of any give a shit for either a, a newspaper's tradition of telling the truth or for public airwaves making sure that you have a commitment yeah. to 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 doing what's in the public's interest. There's none of that. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, you know, it's a, it does become a dicey question with the internet because, you know, I, I don't, the idea of like it being regulated like the airwaves is kind of terrifying to me personally. Um, but at the same time, there is a certain amount of, of public infrastructure and federal funding and public funding that, that from other countries that has gone into to decades and decades to create what we have. And um, there are a lot of similarities there. There should be some um, mechanism, I think, uh, and you know, I think that to a certain degree that's the antitrust uh, laws that we have that have not really been enforced very well against these guys to, 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 to bring some kind of balance to that, right? To, to make it so that if you are a behemoth like Google or Facebook, you know, there is some requirement on you, some duty on you to act in the public interest. It can't all be about your profits. And we're seeing a little bit of that in a very clumsy way on, for example, the debate stage for the DNC primary for president. We're seeing very little of that on Capitol Hill, kind of in dribs and drabs. Nothing that, that I would say is being handled in a, in a serious way. What, what I want to point out, though, and this is something that I think, again, you and I have in common, you know, I, I uh, left, I, my job with, with SiriusXM ended uh, about a year before yours did with BuzzFeed, and I think we should also talk about the, the nature of management and editorial in a lot of these industries. And I know that it's endemic in broadcasting because of, again, for radio, so many of the people that, that I know have come up in a talk conservative world where you know rush is king and you know beck is normal and these 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 personalities the, the, these stars occupy the firmament in such a way what people don't necessarily realize especially people who've been told um, and kind of have it in their head that there is a left of center bias in all news they don't realize that a lot of the people who are making management who aren't eligible for the union membership who are editors or managers or in some ways making the judgment calls there's actually a big right of center bias, and and I could speak to that forever. But I I know that you can also uh, empathize with that, and and it really does make news gathering it, it changes the way our coverage works. And I, I don't oh, think yeah. there's any other way to say that. No, I I think I think you can see it. I mean, frankly, you can see it in some of the personalities. If you look at someone like say Jim Van Dyke, um, very 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 conservative person, you see and you see it in in sort of. His work when he was a reporter, and you see it in the work of Politico and now Axios, where, you know, for instance, one of the big, I think, areas you'll see it in is um, this, this really institutional hesitancy to call um, Steve King a racist or, or tr Donald Trump a racist or to say that the Republican Party, as a result of, of electing these guys and a lot of these guys like this, have, have become um, beholden to, to that kind of a thing. And I think... You know, the, the, the way our language, we use our language to cover things really belies this, this notion you're getting at that, like, there's, there's not as much of a, of a left-leaning bias 
than uh, the, than people really think. I think I think it's just not it's not as there there are plenty of left leaning reporters out there, but there are also plenty of, of like Republican and conservative reporters that I know out there, and all of us I think feel uncomfortable with some of the realities that we've seen from from some of this, you know. Yeah, that that's for sure. And it doesn't really and I want to get back to what this is fundamentally about, which is the this project you're working on, but I feel like it's important as two people who have navigated this environment, who have um again, I'm just going to torture this metaphor. If we've navigated this environment, we've been buffeted by storms, we've taken on water and uh I, I for some reason we're both floating. I'm not sure how. Uh <laughs> but we all float down here. Um let's let's start with some of the uh some of the things that Save Journalism Project provides to help journalists who, for one reason or, reason or another, are caught in this storm. Because that, whether it's uh, resources that you guys are offering, I know, for example, uh, there's a Kickstarter that uh, I want to bring some people's attention to. Talk to me about the things that you guys are doing, Save Journalism Project are doing, uh, to help make people's lives a little bit easier when they're trying to, to, to navigate this uh, this situation. Yeah, uh, one of the, the, the first things we've done is uh, we recently created a new um, uh Web page on our on our site that has got resources for for reporters uh, and other kind and other journalists and news people that have been laid off. Um, when I got laid off, you know, one of the big things that hit me was mental health issues. Right? I, it it really. I mean, I think because we we don't see ourselves separate from our jobs. Uh, most reporters view it as a, vo- a vocation, not yes. as a profession. Yes. And it becomes very much a part of who we are. And especially if you've been doing it either for a long time or for a very short time, and this is what you really want to do in your life, getting laid off can have an enormous mental impact on you. It had huge impacts on my mental health. And, there, and having the ability to uh, access resources is critical. And I think, you know, for me, for instance, I was lucky in that I had a severance package that gave me several months of, of pay and, and of health care. But a lot of people are getting laid off and they're not getting that. And so we're trying to give people the ability to find resources there. Um, I'd never been a freelance journalist before. I'd always had a staff job and I had no idea how to be a freelancer. And so we've tried to collect some resources for people that are trying to navigate that for the first time and um, started to try to put together some basic lists of uh, trade associations that you might be able to reach out to for help. Um, And also um, uh, grants and, and, and other kinds of programs that help fund journalists who are independent in, in doing their work. Because again, you know, those are things that like I never thought I had to really pay attention to. And, and because I never did when I found myself cut off and alone, um, I had no idea what to do. You and I have had this conversation outside of a microphone environment, but I, I try to be one of the things that I've always said on this podcast, on this conversation, and people who enjoy At the Table, I hope they appreciate what I try to bring to it, which is if you're going to make the mistake of having a, a straight white guy do this podcast, <laughs> you want someone who at least is going to try to lance the boil of toxic masculinity. So I try to be as vulnerable as I can. You and I have had a conversation specifically about the mental health question. And I remember telling you that after I lost my job, I had a couple months of righteous indignation. And then I had, you know... As a broadcaster, and for you, uh, you know, kind of a an Adonis specimen of a man, uh, <laughs> you have this veneer of of narcissism that really protects you from a lot of the darkest stuff. But maybe like three, four, five months in, I started waking up three to five times a night with self harm fantasies. Yeah, and I've never experienced that before in my life. But after losing my job, that was the reality for me. And I looked at, and I was waking up my wife. And I was telling her, I have to get help. Now, again, 
I have a partner. She's pretty good at this stuff, and she's amazing. I don't. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't been able to get that help. Yeah. And I think about you know you and I have talked about this over a beer, but I want to talk about it in this context too because these are people who do take their job seriously. They believe in what they're doing. They're not just nobody's in this because it makes a lot of money. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, and I think about the reality of people who do not just identify with their job, but take it, you know, and, and put it up in their identity. Maybe that's that's our problem to internalize and deal with. But I, I just I, I would want you to speak to that, because if if you don't if you don't know what John looks like, this is he doesn't look like a guy who talks like talks about his feelings. <laughs> but you are one of the most sensitive and caring people that I know. And so I would if you could talk to this, I think it would it would uh, be very helpful for people who are listening to yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely sometimes am the, the stereotypical Irish Catholic guy, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, you know, look. And I'm know, the stereotypical Italian, and I just want to hug you. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, just stay away. What are you yeah. doing? That's so weird. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, for me it was um, a, a several weeks of, of pretty hard drinking. And um, then uh, basically... Um, about a month and a half, two months after the layoff, I didn't get out of bed more or less for for weeks, except for to buy booze and some drugs maybe every once in a while, and um, uh, and to get Uber Eats, and um, you know, and it, it, I was definitely having suicidal thoughts. I think you know, I know that I'm not alone in that. Um, you obviously have had it. I think a lot of the other journalists that I know have had it, um, and you know, I was lucky in that I had friends that. Um, stepped in and, you know, were really worried about me um, and, you know, helped me get out of that funk. I had mental health resources. I was able to go to some therapy. That was very, very helpful. Um, it was extraordinarily helpful. Uh, and uh, I also had a friend who took me to Disneyland. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, I do remember the photos of that. I'm like, what the hell is John doing? <laughs> yeah, it's the happiest they're, place on earth. They're yeah. letting John ride these rides? Isn't he above the height limit for these? <laughs> like, even the teacups, I feel like there should be some kind the, you know the 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 thing you you mentioned about this and that I that I want to go back to for a second is it, it wasn't made any easier given that we were in 2017 or for you 2000 you know 18 19 you know like this was after for me it was after two and a half years of getting death threats I was covering the White House I was covering the campaign Trump people were, were telling me in my Twitter DMs and on Facebook and an email everywhere that they hoped that I got raped by 10,000 refugees or that they, you know, that mm -hmm. I died. Like, just, and, and by the way, and again, I just, I'm checking my own privilege. It was worse for our colleagues, especially women, especially people of color. Like, oh, yeah. we, we, like we had it easy, but at the same time, all of those things cracked through and, and and anyone who's listening to this conversation knows the the toll that this news cycle has taken on you psychologically. Yeah. And then to be where we were, and then to be kind of stripped of all the protections that we had, suddenly I was like, where where am I? Yeah. And, and that and that to me, it really did start flooding in where all these thoughts had a home because of the the nature of the coverage I was doing. And people, I just I can see all the death threats against me, against my wife, against you know every, everyone I care, cared about. And these people don't know me. They don't know you. Yeah. They don't give a shit about us. And they, yet and, and yet they feel like they've got to vent their spleen out about <laughs> something, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I mean, yeah, when I, when I got laid off, I, I had just finished writing uh, and, and spending a bunch of time on the border covering oh God, the, the death of the children uh, in CBP custody. And, um, you know, it was bad enough dealing with with the with you know the racists yelling at you about that stuff, and then um, you know the thing actually that during during my layoff, 
because there were you know what, 200 people or whatever got yeah, laid no off kidding, yeah. and that week and um the 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 trolls on the internet decided to do this thing where they told us all to go learn how to code Oh my God, and that's right. Oh, that's oh, it's like I can I want to dip the, the, the I can I can get the sap from that particular ring of the tree of awfulness of that news cycle. Like I remember exactly that week where everyone was mm-hmm. being told to learn to code and like what like someone decided that was clever yeah. on like eight chan or somewhere yeah. and like. But that, the, I'm the glad you learned how to code. Though. <laughs> the thing about oh, I'm sorry. I'm glad that you started Save uh, Save Journalism Project. Yeah. You did something else. The 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 thing about that that fascinated me though was that how quickly that transformed within like 24 hours into basically rape threats against women reporters, um, anti-Semitic, uh, you know, threats against Jewish reporters, you know, going after like LGBT reporters. It was it was really remarkable to see like the the pile on of like thousands of people on to, you know, my colleagues. Um, and it was, it was really heartbreaking to watch because, you know, these are people that, you know, a lot of them are particularly like they're young, they're, they're just starting off in the business and they're trying to make a difference in the world, trying to make the world a better place, um, trying to help the public know what's going on. And, um, you know, they got a lot, they get a lot of abuse and they got a lot of abuse. And it was really heartbreaking to watch. You started talking about the moment where you were at the border. Can you go back to that and talk about how that affected you because I don't want to lose this moment that you were describing and you know you get laid off after filing this huge story I remember reading it and I know I've told you I thought it was some of the best work I've ever read of yours which you know I mean I I also just can't imagine the difficulty I've never I've never been to those communities and you know I'm only seeing it through the lens of people like you who've been down there so I, I I just I don't know what that feels like. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is part of the problem of, of, of being a reporter and part of, you know, this whole idea of it becomes who you are. You know, you're around people, when you report particularly on, on these kind of the human side of policy issues, you in, in, inevitably internalize a lot of it and, yeah. and um, it becomes something that you have to live with. You know, we don't, unlike, say, police or the lawyers involved in these cases or the people directly involved in them where they have some kind of closure at the end of the day, right? Like, reporters really d- don't. You know, we have a, we tell the story and we go to the next story, but that story never really gets gets out of your head. And I think, um, you know, f- for me, it was, it, was a, it was very difficult because it is, it's really depressing work and it's very taxing work uh, emotionally. And I think, you know, there was um, – uh, a lot of the reporters that I know that have been covering these kind of things, whether it's on the border or uh, in the the black community or um, LGBT issues or women's issues, you know, these are these are very real personal stories, especially for people that are of color or for women um, or trans reporters or whatever. That like the those are also their communities, right? Sex workers. I know you've done a lot of yeah. work with sex. Uh, you know, you've done a lot of reporting in the sex work community. People don't even have an appreciation for the humanity of that field, yeah. and then you know we're trying to bring that out there in a way and it's you're hitting a an empathy wall essentially yeah. uh, it's it's, well, it's, and it's and for, especially for the reporters that come from those communities i feel like like you know i mean i'm a i'm a big straight white guy right like to a certain degree i have a like even when like they, i get attacked by people for the things i write about i have a certain amount of distance from it right for the reporters yeah. that come from those communities i mean it's I, it's unimaginable what they have to deal with and it's you know again you know then all of a sudden you find yourself without a job right and right. you know it, it makes you question whether or not like what you were doing was worth it in the end sometimes well let's talk about some of the other resources that save journalism project is offering for people who may have lost their job after doing whether it's mundane reporting whether it's far flung reporting whether it's communities 
uh, in distress or whether it's just local stuff. You guys have a Kickstarter that's out this week, and you're talking about uh, you know trying to pay freelancers a little bit better. And I noticed, by the way, it's per word. I really wish, as a broadcaster, you would try to maybe do it by the minute. But you know what? I'm just <laughs> look. Do you you do your way, John, and I'll just forge my own damn path. I'll just have to. I thought maybe you would be the snowplow by which I could you know follow behind. But I'll just no. But t- tell me what this Kickstarter is because I I have a Patreon obviously for this podcast. I try to get people who give uh, to this conversation. I try to give them a little bit extra about who we are and what we do and the community that we build. Kickstarter is a very different kind of thing where you're you're constantly funding this thing. Explain what it is that Save Journalism Project is trying to do here. Yeah, so I think the, the basic idea is um, we want to try to give people um, – we want to find some freelancers out there, particularly people that have been laid off, um, people of color, especially women, LGBT community, disabled reporters, um, uh, the ability to basically come out and get some extra money to pay for them to do some work. Um, you know, freelancing is, a, is a, particularly on the front end, is, a, is an expensive proposition. And you spend about 30% of your time doing the work and about 70% of the time following up to get paid, right? That's, that's the, yeah. the ratio. Yeah, and, and a lot of times you have to actually, you have to basically know you have a story before you pitch it, right? Because, uh, I mean, unless you've got a really good relationship and you've been doing a lot of work for an outlet, you know, the idea of you saying, well, I need you to pay for me to go to X place or to spend two weeks working on something isn't going to really fly, right? Um, so you have to spend a lot out of pocket. And traditionally, people don't pay a lot of money. I mean, you know, they pay as much as I guess they can right now. But, you know, people are getting paid $300, $200 for a thousand words in some instances. And that's insane. You can't, you can't sustain that as a, as, a, as a living. It's just so, so hard to, to do that. You've got to be writing, you know, 5,000 words a week, you know, if you live in any kind of a place with, with like, bad rent, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I live in New Orleans. It's a small town, relatively speaking, small city. And, um, you know, it doesn't have a huge um, income base. But, you know, our rent there is ridiculous. It's, it's one There's of the worst There's a sinkhole that's opened up recently that I think you could live in, though. <laughs> I think you could... You know, you could be the troll that lives in that sinkhole. So, yeah. So, but but the, yeah. Uh, but I think so. We'll be, what we're trying to do is we we have kind of two main areas that we want to be able to fund people to write stories in. One is on um, the impact that technology, these big tech companies, have had on the industry um, to do some investigative work on sort of how Google operates, how Facebook operates, and the effect that that's had on the, the news business. This is like a guerrilla strike on the uh, on what you're trying to. I mean, this is this yeah. is yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys aren't screwing around, is what I'm. No, yeah, and then and then the other piece to it is to also write about um, the effect that the news business has on our communities and the effect that not having it there is having, right? So to look at things like say news deserts, what that means for communities, but also to look at things like say the Flint. Uh, water crisis, right, which may never really gotten known if it hadn't been for local journalists or, you know, in um, St. Tammany Parish in Louisiana uh, uh, that is known as St. Slamany because of the the sheriff there was putting so many people in jail. Um, You know, the Times-Picayune basically exposed this dude for being a crook, um, a predator, a sex predator, like a horrible, horrible human being. Um, He's lost his job. He's probably going to go to jail. And and that would have never happened if it hadn't been for the Times-Pick, which is now closed. Now closed. Yeah, I was... And um, so I think, and so one of the one of the major cities in the country is now without a major daily. Well, know, we have the Advocate, yeah, and you know they now call themselves the Times Picayune Advocate because they realized how bad it looked that they were killing off the <laughs> Times Pick, but they they fired pretty much everybody. I mean, they only kept 
a handful of people. So, I mean... I think about this, and again, just from the broadcast side of it, I remember, for example, a couple years ago, right after I lost my job, when we had the, the shooting in New Orleans. Oh, sorry. When we had the shooting in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the... It was on a weekend, and I remember having a conversation with a colleague of mine who was on on radio in another city, and he said, there is literally no radio station in Las Vegas that is live this weekend. There's one of the biggest news stories, in, and again, mind-boggling to me, but that was the reality. They had to bring in staff from other cities to help cover this story. And that, and that brings me to something that I want to ask you about. I know that one of the other resources that you guys are doing is some kind of like map for people who are all around the country, because this isn't just in major, I mean, so much, we talk about journalism, and it's so much focused on New York, D.C., Chicago, L.A. It's so focused on, you know, you mentioned the kinds of money uh, that, that people are getting, which means that the kinds of people who can afford to do this work are more white, more wealthy, more college educated, all of these things bias the kinds of stories in a real way. Unlike the the bias we were talking about earlier, which is bullshit, this is a real bias that actually does impact. If you only have college students or college grads write about your news, right. you, you know, this right. is what you have. And so and so you've you've got this map that's coming out. This is another resource that I want to make sure I touch on. Yeah, so uh, we put together um, a map to show basically where all of the layoffs have happened so far. We'll be, unfortunately, probably having to add more over the next coming months and years. It, but looks, like, it looks like the kind of map that one of the Trump family members would put out, where it's like, <laughs> try to impeach this, where it's got right. like, so much red all over it. that it's just... I mean, it is remarkable, right? <laughs> when you look at it, it's like like it's all over the country. And, and there are huge... And that's the uh, part of the irony of this is that the, the areas that in a lot of ways are getting most impacted when you look at the map are... Um, Republican uh, members of Congress's district, right? They no longer have newspapers in their in their districts. Like the the, the people that, in a lot of ways, have been convinced that um, we are their enemy, um, don't have anybody there to stand up for them anymore, right? They have no one there to tell them what it is that their elected officials are doing. And uh, you know, to a certain degree, that helps some of them, some of the the more crooked ones. It definitely helps them get away with their with their dirty deeds. But if you're a member of Congress, frankly, and you're trying to tell the people who you need to elect you what it is you're doing, if you don't have a newspaper, if you don't have like like a like an actual like like public radio site that has a real has a news site on it that you know or, or a television station that has real news going on and not just sort of aggregated stuff coming from um, Sinclair or someplace like that. Yeah, right? I think Boris is going to cover it, so don't worry about right. it. Right. Yeah, like there's no way for the, for your constituents to know what you're doing, and um, you know no matter how conservative you are, there's a guy out there that is willing to be more conservative than you and to be more Trumpy than you are, and like he could easily just come along and blow up your universe, and no one will know that you got them those new roads. And this is this goes back to the other conversation where we began, which is trying to think about hospitality and trying to think about actually giving a damn about the other people in your community because in a world where you don't know a lot of journalists it's like not having neighbors who are gay or friends who are black or anything like this you literally don't know that these are decent human beings who actually live and work and have a job and maybe actually improve your community a little bit and maybe they broke that story that helped make sure that your kid didn't get you know you know abused at school or maybe they broke the story that there was uh, somebody taking funds from something in a local pro like Maybe that would actually happen, but if all you do is hate the journalist because that's what you got at the at the rally you went to a couple of months ago, 
I just feel like you're really missing out on an opportunity to connect with other he- people, and and that's a that's a that's a real shame. Well, there's also, I mean, we talk a lot about politics and about sort of big stories like that, but like losing local news is extraordinarily dangerous because, you know, there's no one there now to write about the restaurants, right? To tell you that the, that, that restaurant down the street is serving rat meat, right? There's no one there to tell you about... As a former restaurant person, by the way, how dare you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's sort of tell you that, that like, you know, the, the sports team is doing this cool thing, that they have got um, a kid that is, you know, got some kind of is differently abled in some manners, is playing football in a way that like no one has ever seen before. That's a feel-good story that reflects well on your community, tells you a thing about your community that is important to know. Now there's nobody there to tell you that anymore, right? There's no one there to tell you the scores in the, in the football game. I mean, like, like the, that's this thing that Let alone want. go to the, the town hall meeting and right. actually do the, the, the shoe leather work of, you know, going there and with a notebook and actually trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, that's just not happening either. Yeah, and all of these things are, are vitally important to us as communities and as individuals and to our, our well-being. And I think, you know, we tend to forget the smaller things, the more... Um, the not salacious or sexy things, but I think that those things are also incredibly valuable and they make up the heart of who we are as communities. And and without journalists, um, you know, we start to become fractured. John, one of the things that uh, I love about you is despite the fact that you are Irish Catholic, your passion for this comes through in, in spades. And I think that the work that you've done already is really important. You and Laura, both uh, with Save the Journal- Save Journalism Project, both have done a lot of good and will continue with everything we've talked about. Uh, I would point people to uh, savejournalism.org so that they can learn more about everything that we've been talking about. I, I just appreciate this. You know, I, I come from a situation where when I left Sirius XM, I didn't know where I was for a while. I wish this organization had existed. But in the meantime, you and I have caught up a few times since, and I'm, I'm grateful for each time we have. So thank you so much, John. Thank you. And if I can just make one last point. Uh, Mark Halperin is a sexual predator who allegedly put his alleged wiener on his women colleagues, and I hope no one forgets that. And yet, Mark Halperin, people are still clamoring for him to do work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, don't forget that when you're clamoring for him to do work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to remind people, by the way, and I'm just going to piggyback off that, uh, that being separated from SiriusXM in the fall of 2017, I had to remind a lot of people often that it was not because it yeah. was a creepy situation. Uh, and I was one of the only white dudes for whom that was true. <laughs> and so it was one of those moments where I remember in, in a lot of conversations, it was like, so, uh, and I was like, no, it didn't, no, yeah. that, that wasn't me. I am actually the white guy unicorn. Yes, yeah. 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 Well, in so many ways, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that, that's as good a place to any to end. John Stanton, co-founder, Save Journalism Project. John, thanks again. Thank you.